The reading this evening is taken from Ephesians chapter 2, starting to read at verse 11 and going through till the end of verse 22. Jew and Gentile reconciled through Christ. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are beginning to build together, to, to be built together, to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And thank you, Lisa. If I can add my own welcome to that that Adam gave earlier. My name's Jonathan G. I'm the vicar here. And if you're here for the first time, it's particularly good to have you with us. Uh, let's pray as uh, we think about these things together. Lord God, we praise you once again that you are a God who speaks through the scriptures, through the prophets, supremely through Jesus. We pray that you would come and speak to us this evening as we think about what Paul wrote all those years ago, as we think about how it applies to us now. Send your spirit. Open our eyes to see and our ears to hear what you want to show us, what you want to say to us, and give us grace to follow where you lead. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was very good to be in the cathedral this morning. Uh, we don't robe up very often. It was really hot wearing the robes. It's hot enough. I'm glad we're not wearing them tonight. Uh, for Adam's priesting, you get ordained twice in the Church of England, once as a deacon, and then provided you don't do anything too drastic. Uh, you get what I call a booster a year later, and you get ordained as priest a year later. So Adam has had both ordinations. Uh, he's sitting down there on the floor, um, probably because heat rises and he thinks it's cooler down there. Uh, he did get ordained in his socks, you'll be pleased to know. He always leads worship in his socks, so 
there was special permission from the bishop. Uh, after the service, we've got some Prosecco and some elderflower and some nibbles, just to celebrate how good it is having Adam. And indeed, Jess, welcome to the evening service. Uh, have you left Jacob home alone tonight? Or is, he's got a, yeah, he's, he's 18 months, he'll be all right, that's fine. Well, maybe there's someone there. Anyway, we're delighted you are here as well. Now, at Coventry Cathedral... Uh, is a good place for us to start where the ordination was. Our theme this evening is reconciliation, how God has taken Jews and Gentiles and through Jesus made one new body, one new society. Coventry Cathedral itself is a tremendous symbol of reconciliation. Uh, many of you will know the story. If you don't, I commend you to go and look round. The visitor charge has been abolished now, so you don't have to pay to get in. Uh, you don't even have to pay to get out either. It's, it's free, so that, that you can donate on the way out. Uh, when the Germans bombed... Coventry in the Second World War, the old cathedral was completely devastated, and you see the ruins of the old cathedral there now. Uh, the morning after, the provost of the cathedral went into the ruins and took two charred beams and put them together uh, and wrote the words, Father, forgive. Uh, sometime later, uh, one of the cathedral uh, stonemasons took some old medieval nails that were from the wreckage and formed them into the Coventry Cross of Nails, three nails making a cross. And that symbol of the Cross of Nails and Father Forgive, uh, rather than vengeance and hatred, uh, a gospel of forgiveness, has, is thoroughly Christian. It is the way of Jesus. Uh, Jesus takes enemies and makes them into friends through forgiveness. It wasn't very popular at the time. Uh, the people of Coventry were not looking for forgiveness, but for revenge. Uh, but as the time has gone by, Coventry now marks itself, whenever you go in, as city of reconciliation, with the cathedral there at the forefront of it. And it is a visual aid of the forgiveness that there is in Jesus, that those who once were enemies are now friends. So there's a tremendous union and affinity between Dresden, which was also bombed, and Coventry. There's a partnership between the German people and the English, uh, and Coventry right at the heart of that. And it's an illustration of what we're looking at in this passage tonight. It is hard for us 2,000 years later to register just how deep was the enmity between Jew and Gentile. Uh, around the time Jesus was born. There was a huge gulf between Jew and Gentile. Even if Gentiles were drawn to the God of the Jews, uh, they could only sort of worship from a distance. Uh, and the Jews at the time seemed to have forgotten why God had chosen them. Uh, we read that God chose Abraham, that the Jewish people come through him in order that they would be a blessing to the whole world but they'd forgotten that. We read in Isaiah that the Jewish people would be a light to the Gentiles. But by and large, obviously not everybody, but by and large they'd forgotten that. Uh, and it seems that around the time of Jesus particularly, uh, Israel had forgotten her vocation and twisted the privilege of being chosen by God into a sort of favoritism and ended up despising, even detesting the Gentiles, sometimes referring to them as dogs. Uh, one commentator puts it like this. At the time of Jesus, the Jew had an immense contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles said the Jews were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. God, they said, loves only Israel out of all the nations he had made. It was not even lawful to give help to a Gentile mother in her hour of sorest need, for that would be simply to bring another Gentile into the world. 
Until Christ came, the Gentiles were an object of contempt to the Jews. The barrier between them was absolute. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl or a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of that Jewish boy or girl was carried out. Such contact with a Gentile was the equivalent of death. It's hard for us to feel what that culture must have felt like. That's why St. Peter in Acts had said he'd never been into a Gentile home. It was was such a radical thing uh, for the early Christians to break down those barriers. And this um, barrier between Jew and Gentile was symbolized in the Jewish temple. Uh, The Gentiles could come so far, but only so far. The upper level was for the Jewish women and men and the priests. The lower level, surrounded by two huge walls, was the court of the Gentiles. And notices all around forbade any foreigner from going on closer. Archaeologists have found some of the signs. One of them read like this. No foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. It's not very friendly. It's a pretty big barrier. Now, Paul knew all about that personally. In Acts, you can read that uh, a group of Jews tried to lynch him because they believed he'd taken a Gentile into the courts of the temple. He hadn't. Uh, He'd taken Trophimus only so far, who actually was from Ephesus, where Paul has written this letter. But his life was at, at risk just because people thought that's what he had done. And into that context, Paul speaks about how Jesus has broken down the barrier between Jew and Gentile so that the Gentiles can be included to all the promises to Israel that we read in the Old Testament. I imagine the vast majority here of us tonight are Gentile. If you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. Uh, Without that barrier being broken down, we could worship from a distance, but that's it. And we've been included in Christ. And the whole of the letter to the Ephesians, this glorious letter we're looking at week by week, about six weeks this term, have a break for the summer, and then another six weeks next term. It speaks of God's desire to reconcile those who were enemies, reconcile them to himself, reconcile us to each other. Uh, Just look at these few verses from Ephesians, and you'll see how this theme runs the whole way through. In chapter 1, verse 10, uh, God's plan is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. When Jesus returns, then everything will be renewed at the restoration of all things. But that's his desire, to bring unity. Uh, In today's passage, chapter 2, verse 15 and 16, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Uh, Next week, we'll get to chapter 3 and verse 6. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. And in chapter 4, verse 3, we're therefore to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. If God has gone to this great length of breaking down the barriers between us, This is a precious thing, and we're to work at it. Uh, And chapter 4, verse 13, though there's still a unity we don't have, so until we all reach a unity in the faith, we don't all see things the same way. There's some significant disagreements within the body of Christ, but one day we will all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. That's the goal. So this theme of unity and reconciliation runs the whole way through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. 
And God's plan, we read, is that the church is a foretaste of this. That in the church, there should be that much more reconciliation than we find anywhere else. A foretaste where Jew and Gentile, uh, different nationalities, old and young, male and female, rich and poor, all of us together are part of one great family. So let's just tease this out a bit more from our passage tonight. Uh, Three very simple headings, what we once were, what Jesus did, and what we are now. (laughs) Fairly simple and straightforward. What we once were, verses 11 and 12 of Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. That is pretty stark. Uh, Last week we saw how we were dead in our sins before Jesus died so we can be forgiven. That is the state of the world outside Christ today. Our society all around us, very interested in spirituality. The more weird and wonderful the religion, the more people are interested in it people will start doing all sorts of weird and wonderful things with crystals and all sorts of stuff, but not coming to Jesus. G.K. Chesterton once said, when people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing, they believe anything. And we see all around us that going on, without hope and without God in the world. Uh, Last week, St. Paul said, we're spiritually dead. So you can be very much alive physically. You might be a fine sportsman, a vivacious actress, You might be a great musician, have the lively mind of a scholar, but you can still be spiritually dead, not remotely interested in God and as unresponsive to Jesus as a corpse. Uh, So many of us have friends, that's their attitude, they're just not interested. And Jesus came to break down these barriers between us and him. And it's not just the barriers between people and God, they're increasing barriers between people and each other. While in Christ, barriers are broken down between male and female, rich and poor, black and white. We find in the world, the more godless the world, the more the barriers get put up. So whether it's Donald Trump wanting to build his wall to keep the Mexicans out, or whether it was the Berlin Wall that was there, remember that came down nearly 30 years ago, or whether it was the the wall in Northern Ireland, or on the West Bank, people build walls physically to keep people out. And if they don't build them physically, they often build them in other ways, in workplaces or clubs or homes. Some some barrier that says you're in and you're out. And Jesus comes to break all these barriers down. Now there may be a desire for barriers to be broken down. And when they are, we want to rejoice. But all too often we find that the barriers aren't broken down deeply. Uh, I spent a year in Israel as a young man, 1984 to 1985, working on a Christian uh, conference center up on Mount Carmel. Uh, there was a group called Partnership of Jews and Arabs to meet together, to try and work together. L- really good intention. <laughs> the irony was when they came up to our building, it was, a, it was a Christian conference center, it was a neutral place. They spent most of the time arguing about what room they were going to meet in, and the partnership was not very fruitful. Then we came to Christmas, and in the house at Christmas... We had some Jewish Christians, some Western Christians, some Arab pastor and his family who led an Arab Christian church. 
And the Arab pastor was playing on the piano Jewish Hanukkah songs. With a, and there's this tremendous unity. And with his great smile on his face, he's saying, don't tell the Arabs I'm doing this. But there was this, the barriers were broken down in Jesus. And that brings us on to what Jesus did. Let's look from verse 13 onwards. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. He has made the two groups one. He's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and its regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Let's leave that there. When Jesus died on the cross, he not only dealt with the barrier of sin between us and our Heavenly Father, but that dealt with the barrier between us and each other. This bit in verse 15 about setting aside in his flesh the law. He didn't set aside the moral law. The moral law remains. Jesus always intensified that. But he set aside the ceremonial law that was there, all the washings and sacrifices of animals that were there symbolically to say sin matters. They were all dealt with. Jesus' sacrifice was enough. When we come to communion in a few minutes' time, we'll remember that he paid once and for all the only sacrifice that was needed. Uh, only God in himself could take the sin of the whole world. Only someone who was human could die for humanity so the god man pays that price and so all the law of rituals and washings and animal sacrifices all of that is abolished uh, and because of that uh, those of us who are far off are brought near uh, it's a lovely picture if we were far off the gentiles now we're brought near to jesus like the story of the prodigal son the son that runs away from his father, the picture of God, and makes the right mess of his life, far away, and then he comes back. And as he comes back, the father runs down to meet him. In Jesus, God comes running down the path to meet us, welcoming us back into relationship with him. St. Paul himself, that's what had happened. He had given his life to obeying the law as closely as he could. And all that led him to do was becoming a persecutor and murderer of the church and then Jesus met him and changed him and he became the great apostle of grace so what we were we were estranged from God and from his people without hope and without God in the world what Jesus did he broke down the wall of hostility he abolished it so we can be one new community and that's what we've now become let's read from verse 19 on Sorry, Andy, I always give the projectionist a tough time by jumping around where I've got to in my notes. Uh, from verse 19, there we are, thank you. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So there's a picture there of being citizens instead of being foreigners. There's a picture of being part of a household instead of someone who's not part of the family. And then this picture of being part of God's new building, verse 21. In him the whole building is joined together 
and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Just think about those three pictures there of what we've become. Citizens. In the Roman Empire, citizenship was a big deal. If you were a Roman citizen, you had all sorts of privileges, which if you weren't, you didn't. Actually, today it's the same. All the Brexit negotiations. Who is going to be, have rights in Europe or in Britain? Uh, all the stuff that we have loads of pe people from lots of different nationalities in this church. Some of them, uh, at the moment, not yet able to have all the benefits of being here fully. We pray that folks are granted permission to stay, to have the same rights as those of us who are citizens. And the picture there is that before Jesus died for us, we were not part of God's great kingdom. But now Jesus has broken down the barriers, we're welcomed in, and we are part of his great kingdom, citizens of heaven. So while... Uh, Many of us are British and part of the United Kingdom here. Everybody who worships Jesus is part of his great kingdom. Uh, whether you've just become a Christian, baptised six people last week, whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or more, we have the same rights as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, we're part of the same family, uh, the same household. So if God is my heavenly father and God is your heavenly father, then you are my sister or brother and I am your brother. Like it or lump it. We don't choose our brothers and sisters. My sister and I spent most of our time fighting as we were growing up, but nothing stops the fact that we are brother and sister. Within the Christian church, it's quite often like that. We spend a lot of time rubbing each other up the wrong way, treading on each other's toes, but we are part of the same family. If we're going to be close enough, there will be times when we annoy each other and need to forgive each other. If we're never doing that, we're probably not close enough. Uh, we were praying for Seamus and Catrin in their marriage, and I'll be preaching on Saturday, so I'll resist giving the sermon now. And I can see Jono and Heather on the front row. Uh, marriage is a wonderful thing, but it isn't easy. And you're sharing your life. One of the illustrations I often give at a wedding, and probably will on Saturday, is that where you get two streams coming down the mountain and they join together, there's always a bit of white water before they go on their way. Great opportunities for forgiveness. And, uh, uh, the same in the church of God. We are part of the same family. Uh, we've got, uh, whenever we gather our family together, so there's now 10 of us. We've got five children, two of them married and one about to be married. So we've husband, wife and fiancé, that's 10. Uh, we're all on holiday together. And when we get the chance, we have a photo taken. People look at it and say, what a lovely photo. What they don't know is that I'd been a really very unpleasant person that afternoon. And we'd had a big family row because of my selfishness. And the photo was all facade. But actually, underneath that, there is a great job. We love each other very much. I just wasn't doing a very good job of showing it that afternoon. Uh, and it all looks fine. You know, Facebook, people post on Facebook. All the, and it looks like every, people are having this most perfect life. It's not true. The reality is often a little earthier. So it is in the church. Uh, we are God's building. He is building something. Uh, we are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Have you ever spent any time on building sites? I know Heather has. She's an architect. They're usually messy. You drive down to Newbold Common. What a mess. All that red mud and everything. Uh, God is building us together. It's messy. Okay. But one day, the builders go and the building is left. And one day, Jesus will return and the building will be glorious. The family rows will be over. Uh, and we will be in this new reality for all eternity. God, it dwells with us by his spirit. 2,000 years ago, if you wanted to get close to God on earth, 
you went to the temple at Jerusalem where God made his presence dwell. The closer you could get to the Holy of Holies, Holy of Holies the closer to God's presence. Now, Jesus said, wherever two or three gather in his name, there he is by his spirit. He's here tonight as we worship. So to get close to God, we gather with his people. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And that's why it's a scandal when divisions are put up by the church that Jesus had broken down. Uh, around the time uh, of my young adulthood, the scandal of the divisions in Northern Ireland between Catholic and Protestant. Now, of course, they were cultural rather than Christian. But it's still a scandal that if two branches of the same Christian church can't talk to each other or are shooting each other, why should people believe the message? In fact, where there were genuine believers from both sides, there was some attempts at reconciliation and people got shot at by both sides. Uh, people converted from terrorism from both sides, going on preaching tours together, preaching reconciliation and peace. But shot at by both sides as peacemaking is costly. If we find people putting up barriers, that is a scandal. Barriers of age or race or education, clericalism, denominationalism. It's offensive to Jesus who gave his life to tear them down. We need to demonstrate by our common life that there is reconciliation and there is unity. That's why in this church we've given so much time to working together with other churches in the town. And we rejoice at the good relationships there are in the town. Once a year, we celebrate that at Praising the Park. Sadly, not every church yet joins in with that. My prayer is that that will come. Uh, for the last 11 years, I've hosted a prayer lunch for church leaders most months. I've just handed that over. I still go to it, but it's, I've let go of the responsibility of hosting it to try and build relationship between the church leaders and pray for our town. This wonderful explosion of interchurch ministries that there has been over the last 20 years in this town uh, is just glorious uh, because our vision in this church, when we worked on our vision 12, 13 years ago, we were saying, Lord, what have you got for St. Paul's? And I really said, well, it's not so much about St. Paul's. It's about his kingdom in the town. So our vision is to see the town changed one life at a time, but as we work with other churches. By God's grace and glory, as we've given our energy to that, St. Paul's has grown alongside that you tend to get the idea that God rather likes unity and if we give ourselves to unity he will bless us uh, that's why we, we, we don't get to Ephesians chapter 4 till next term so just an, a quick highlight we looked at these verses earlier Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3 uh, tells us that we are to make every effort to maintain the unity to keep the unity of the spirit this is something we are given if you are a Christian, if Jesus is your Lord, God is your heavenly Father, and he's mine, we have a unity that is given, and we are to keep that. But we're to work at a unity of the faith, verse 13 of chapter 4. This is a goal until we all reach unity in the faith. Clearly, we don't all see things the same way. Clearly, the church isn't as united as it could be. Clearly, there's more work to be done. And as we head for that and listen to what the Lord teaches us through others, and their insights. None of us has a monopoly on all the truth. The scriptures do. Uh, but as we read them together, we'll come to understand them better. That's why we work in our town uh, for unity. Uh, I love the psalm. Psalm 133 puts it like this. We put up some. 
how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Uh, good and pleasant. Now, some things are good that are not pleasant. I would put Brussels sprouts in that category. Um, other people would say they're both. Uh, some things are pleasant which are not good. I'd put cream cakes in that category. But Christian unity is good and pleasant, good and pleasing to the Lord. And in verse 3 of Psalm 133, it says, There the Lord bestows his blessing. So where God's people dwell in unity, there the Lord blesses. So we work at the unity in our small groups, across the congregations, across the town. In our diocese, we're part of the Diocese of Coventry. The cathedral has this great story of reconciliation. Uh, down the years, uh, we probably haven't put as much effort into working with the diocese possible the diocese hasn't put as much effort to working with us who knows uh, the church in Coventry it's easier for but together we're part of one bigger family and the bishop is very keen for us to be a diocese of reconciliation I'm sure there's something we've got to offer I'm sure there's something we've got to learn in that but as I finish let's just bring it down to the individual level because often the difficulties happen at an individual level and we are told by Jesus to do whatever we can to break down the barriers. So Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Uh, what we're tempted to do is tell everybody else, but not the person. Uh, I haven't said this for a, for a while in the life of the church. It's probably time to say it again. If someone comes to you and says, you'll never guess what so-and-so's done, please will you say... Have you been to see them yet? And if they say no, say, well, go and see them, like it says, Matthew 18, 15, I'll pray for you, and next week I'll ask you how you got on. At the very least, if that's what our response is, people will stop coming to us with gossip, if they know that's what we're going to say. At best, it may lead to some reconciliation. Uh, Jesus also puts it the other way around in Matthew 5 and verse 23 and 24. If you're offering your gift at the altar and they remember your brother or sister has something against you, so whether you've got something against them or they've got something against you, leave your gift there. First, go and be reconciled. We are to try and do that. Uh, of course, we can't guarantee what the reaction will be. And in Matthew 18, Jesus goes on to say, what if they don't? St. Paul in Romans 12, 18 says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. We can't make them live at peace with us. But as far as it depends on you, let's do as much forgiveness and reconciliation work as we can. Let's offer to meet. Let's offer to talk. Let's have mediators if we can. Let's do all we can. Jesus gave his blood for our unity with him and our unity with each other. It is costly. I mentioned that the, the terrorists in Northern Ireland who were converted and went round together were shot at by, by both sides. I said that Provost Howard in the Second World War was not popular with a lot of Coventry when he prayed, Father, forgive. Let's work for reconciliation. I remember Archbishop Robert Runcy uh, was pilloried in the press for being a wet. When he, was, when he became Archbishop, he was this pig farmer who's got the MC. What a man. Then, after the Argentinian War, he wanted a service of reconciliation in St. Paul's Cathedral. And from that point on, the media hated it. They didn't want that reconciliation. And supremely, of course, it cost Jesus his life. It's costly. But Jesus gave his life for it. 
Uh, we are still a work in progress. Don't beat yourself up too much. We're not in perfect relationship with everybody. Some things won't be reconciled till the Lord returns. Uh, but as far as it's possible, let's do what we can to work for reconciliation. Let's stand and we'll pray together.